Week 19, Be a Blessing. Well, tonight we're in Romans 15, and uh, I'm going to do most of Romans 15 tonight. And the last few verses I'm going to stop at, I'm going to pair that with next week's message. We're the, in the last uh, week, next week, 20 weeks of Romans, um, 16 chapters, 20 weeks. And then we're going to be moving on into some other subjects. Um, I got a few things that God is showing me, but I'm still waiting for him to give me the exact place we're going to go. But I'm excited about the, the few ways that I feel like the Lord is going to take us. But tonight we are in Romans 15, and I want to give you a quick recap of last week. Last week we talked about the idea of unity, and that in order to stay as one, as one unified body, we've got to take a certain kind of approach to things. We can't exalt maturity over immature legalistic and tradition. A lot of times in the church we have this idea of mature and immature and sometimes the immature is, is those who are legalistic and all about tradition, all about religion, but in order to stay unified you cannot exalt your freedom over their immaturity of legalism. Everyone's got different ways of doing things and we want to get them out of it, not beat them down because they're in it. Okay, We have to live to honor God in all things. Everything we do. We have to live in such a way where the, the scripture said not to cause someone to stumble. If you're causing someone to stumble, you're the issue of why we are not unified. Y'all okay? This too much too quick? Okay. This is going to get deep. Aiming for harmony and unity among believers. Simply put, put like this. Love people. Just, let's love people. And it seems like that's been like one of the hardest challenges for the church. But one part specifically that I wanted to highlight from last week, because I believe it sets us up for this message, in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, it says this. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. We all stand before the judgment seat of God. Last week, what we talked about was this judgment seat. Actually, the word for judgment is this uh, uh, word, Bema, B-E-M-A, and it was talking about the seat at the Olympics of Greece. And at the seat at the end of the games, the, the winners, the first, second, and third place of the games, they would come to what they called the Bema, the Bema seat. And at that seat, they would receive crowns for first, second, or third place. And we talked about how this judgment seat for believers isn't exactly about uh, salvation or hell because once you accept Jesus, that's all. There's not a, well, let's make sure you actually did it. It's you accept him, you're in a relationship with him. When you come to the Bema seat, this is not about where do you go. This is about the rewards that he has prepared for you based off of how you live for him as a true son or daughter of God. Okay? There's a difference in what we consider judgment and this particular judgment seat. Making sense? The Bible talks about rewards. Some people preach a bad message about this, but the fact of the matter is that there are rewards awaiting for us. Not as a way to get us in a mindset of earning, hear that again, not as a way to get us in the mindset of earning, but as a promise for how he will judge you according to how you lived your life, according to how you have submitted to his ways, 
and that your life is being transformed in a real, authentic relationship. Everyone will give a personal account for how they live giving glory to God. Everyone. And that was pretty much the message last week that you've got too much to held, be held accountable for for your own self to be worried about pointing out everyone else's account that they're going to have to answer for. You've got too much crap on your plate to deal with theirs, if I can just say it clearly. Okay? You've got to bring a personal account to God. And with that, you'll get rewarded for things. And with that, some of the rewards that were for you, you don't get. And living a life, giving glory to him, is what it's all about. And it comes down to this very simple title of be a blessing. Be a blessing. I want to start out by highlighting God's promise to Abraham. He was talking to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and in verses 1 through 2 it says this. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I'm going to show you. Stop right there. Look at what God just said. Leave everything you know and go to a place that I'm not going to tell you the name of yet. But think about where we're at as people. We want the whole plan of God laid out before we take a step. When God says go, you say, okay, I'll go, but show me where. That's not how God works. He wants you to get to stepping in a good way before he shows you the entire plan. And he's talking to Abram. He's, the Lord said to Abram, I want you to leave everything you know, your family, your relatives, and go to a land that I will show you, verse 2. If you're obedient in all that, I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you, make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. This is where most of us get that little coin phrase, blessed to be a blessing. God says, you follow me, I will bless you, I'll make you, and you will be a blessing to others. You will be blessed to be a blessing. So having that in mind, being blessed to be a blessing, I'll make you, I, I will show you, I will bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to others. With that idea, Paul goes into Romans chapter 15, verse 1 through 2, and he says this, We who are strong must be considerate of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what's right, and build them up in the Lord. The reason for your strength is not just for you. Your strength is to serve the needs of others, not to please yourself. Scripture tells us, and we all know it, when we are weak, he is strong. And a lot of us live according to that. Well, I'm weak in this area, God's going to give me strength. I'm weak in that area. God's going to give me strength. But here's where we forget. You've got weak places, but you've also got strong places. We, we love to take on this humility thing, I think, to the extreme. And we just say, you know, like, I suck in all I do. Like, I'm just bad at everything. No, no, no. You've got some weak places. But you've also got some strong places. 
You've got strong places, and God says, where you are strong, I have called you to help others who are weak. And when you identify your strengths, let me just tell you, you've just identified your ministry. When you've identified your strengths, you've just identified your ministry. I can't tell you how many people come to me all the time, what is God's purpose for my life? And I, I, I always think the same thing, and I usually say the same thing. Well, what are you strong in? What are you good at? Don't tell me you want to sing if you don't know how to carry a pitch. Trust me, you can be all passionate about it you want, but that God did not make you to sing. Right? What are you strong at? You're going to identify where you're called to serve. When you identify where you're strong at, you're going to identify where you have been blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed with the strength to be a blessing of strength to others. Some versions here actually, instead of saying be considerate of those, it says bear with. It's talking about supporting weak with your superior strength. We've been talking about unity in the church. We've been talking about going together as one in the church. But the fact of the matter is, we cannot go there together if the people of God don't start stepping up to say, I'm strong here, let me support where you're weak. And in the same way, you're stronger than me. Get the help, bear with me where I'm weak, and let's grow together. But we're in this American culture of what's best for me and I don't need anybody else and it's me and the Lord. Shut up. That's not Bible. You are not good enough to do life alone. You were never designed to do life alone. We were designed to do life in a community of believers. And a community of believers is not a bunch of people who come together on Saturday nights to worship God. That's a community of people coming together to worship. But it's not true community. If we're not bearing each other up in our weaknesses with our strengths. And at some point, we have to walk forward in our walk with God and say, if God has blessed me with a strength in this area, what can I do to be a blessing to those who don't have what I've got? Okay. Paul says, you've got to give an account for you. And the way you are to bless others, which, by the way, bears a fruit of joy and purpose in you, is to build others up where you have been successfully built. And there are many people who complain about things when you know or think that you're better in those things. I'm one of the most guilty people in that. When I see stuff that I think I'm better at, sometimes my first go-to is just to put it down and tear it apart. I know none of y'all are like that. That's just my weakness, I guess. No one tears apart stuff that they don't like. You know, but I know when I see something that I think is just horrible, I'll go to town on it. Well, they should do this. They should do that. That's sometimes our first response is to complain about the thing that you're strong in. But we have got to get to a place where if we see something that we are strong in and we see an error with it, don't rip it apart. Try to help contribute to build it. Is this, is this too surface? 
We've got to contribute to help build it. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. One way of thinking of others as better than you is you consider their worth as a part of the body. It says consider others better than you. Well, that's difficult when I think of certain people. Anybody there? You know, you have those people in your life that they're just not good at anything in your book. And it's, it's just a, can we just be honest? And, and the first thing we go to in our minds is, well, how in the heck am I supposed to think that that thing is better than me? We do it in church. We do it in family. We do it in jobs. When we see someone that's not better than us get a leg up before us, we don't, we don't praise God and congratulate them. We talk to the entire staff about how we deserved it. One way of doing this, thinking of others better than yourself, is you have to consider their worth as part of the body. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the parts of the body that seem the weakest are most likely the most necessary and carefully protect those parts. It also says if one part suffers, all the parts suffer. It also says, though we forget this, if one part is honored, then all the parts are glad. Maybe one way we're not getting fruit of gladness and joy in our lives is because we have people not being honored. Because the fruit of the seed is honor is corporate joy. Let me, let me say that again. You've got to sow a seed of honor to the weakest parts so that the corporate body receives the fruit of gladness. And the more and more I walk in my life, when I start feeling that there's a lot of no joy and sadness and depression and anxiety, the first thing I realize I'm starting to see is, let me go to the person who has not been honored lately in anything. You know, like, instead of coming up to Kyle and saying, that's a great word, maybe someone should honor Josh and saying, thanks for getting us parked. Don't, he ain't complained about it. I'm just using him as an example. Right? We love to go up to the, the preacher and, man, you are preaching a great word. Thank you so much. That's, yeah, I come here. There's about 10 people on the stage who give a lot of energy. Right? And I'm, and I'm not trying to, like, coerce you into doing anything. I'm trying to teach you a principle. If you've got a place in your work where your work environment is you don't look forward going to it, find the person who hasn't been honored for doing anything, quite frankly, because they hadn't been doing anything. It's not honor them if they deserve it. Honor them based off of how you consider them. And if they are weak, if you'll honor that thing, gladness will be the fruit. Is this... When you consider a person for their worth, you'll start to want to support them in your strength because you value them so that the body or the church can function properly. 
it's a lot easier to tear down something instead of building it back up. It's a lot easier to tear down a broken down house and build a new one than to restore it. And that's exactly what the enemy, that's a strategy, classic strategy of what Satan wants to do. When, when someone seems like they're not producing and they're not worth it, he starts to tell you, that ain't worth it. They're, they're not worth it. Tear them down. Put them in their place. Tell them why they're not doing this. Tell them why they're doing that. And God says, no, 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 no. I supported you when you were weak. Now you mirror me. You see, there's a difference in, 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 in branches that have been cut off and branches that are pruned. And sometimes when we see the cutback, the pruning of someone's life, that, that maybe some things are going backwards and they're starting to go backwards, that doesn't mean you turn around and say, well, I guess God's just giving them what they deserve. No, there's a revealing that there's a weakness that you want to pour into. God says, I support you when you're weak. I want you to do as I do. I want you to mirror me. Watch this in verse 3. For even Christ did not live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the, insult, the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. The scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. Jesus took abuse and suffering even though he didn't do anything wrong. But in taking that on, he was fulfilling prophecy, promise, and purpose. He was fulfilling the prophecy that the Messiah would come, take on the sins of the world. He, it, that's the promise. And he was fulfilling his purpose to make people right with the Father. And he did it all by taking on things that he did not deserve. The abuse, the suffering. And people, especially in this country, we get obsessed about let me get proven innocent. And let me just say this, let God take care of your glory while you support people in their, way, in their weak places for his glory. Because when something is said against us, the very first thing we start to do is try to tell everyone why that's not wrong and this isn't right and I don't deserve this and what did I do? Your focus, if they got something wrong, that's a weak place that you are to bear with. Not try to make them feel weaker because they got it wrong. That's what we do in families. That's what we do with friends. When someone gets it wrong, we love to point out the wrong and push them down and tear them down. And you shouldn't have done this and you shouldn't have done that. And God says, I'm exposing the weakness because there's something in you that I want you to bear with them in. And I think the reason why we don't like to accept that is because we don't want to love the idea that there are some great things about you that he wants you to use, even if it's one thing out of 99. And what we do is say, well, God, I've got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and I ain't worthy. And God says, but you got the one thing. And then Paul, 
takes this whole thing and starts putting a prayer. Verse 5. May God, who gives this patient and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other, as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is Paul praying about something that we're simply commanded to do? Because Paul's like, God, help us to live in harmony after we've just been told, live in harmony. Why is Paul going? Because he recognized something. It cannot be done without God's help. It's a work that has to begin inside of us. The fact of the matter is, we cannot live in harmony without the Spirit of God. It cannot be done. I, I will, oh, yeah, I'll be bold enough to say this. If there is not unity in the house, that's how much you can, you can measure the amount of Holy Spirit in the house. Because when there's not unity, one thing we try to do is we try to form strategies, programs. We do manipulative stuff even though it seems right. We start, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We'll put, peop we'll put people in leadership positions to attract a certain culture. We, we pray, let's get multicultural. So instead of letting God do it, we try to manipulate with our strategy. Instead of just saying, Holy Spirit, we're going to pursue you, and you do what you want. We're getting pretty colorful at Relentless. Y'all, it's okay. Gosh, y'all, y'all. Y'all like on eggshells. God loves color. This whole, this whole, this, 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 <laughs> this junk about, oh, God don't see color. He created it. This congregation is getting colorful. It's getting generational. It used to be all college kids. And the fact that I call college people kids now is weird. But there's older people, there's younger people, there's people, there's a lot, there's, there's people who are country and people who are not. I'm seeing higher class, I'm seeing middle class, I'm seeing lower class. You can't, you can't just do that. But the way we move forward with it, is let me put forth what I'm strong at because what I'm strong at, someone in this room, regardless of color, class, or culture, or whatever, someone needs what I've got. And I'm not going to find my someone based off of who looks like me or who has the same taste as me or is the same age as me. Is this, is this all right? Okay. He says, 
This has to be done starting inside of us. And he starts off, he says, help us live in harmony. The strong being there for the weak, and he highlights two things. Patience and encouragement. We are a people who are always in a hurry. Wanting it now. And when we don't get it now, we automatically start beating up something. Sometimes it's ourselves, and sometimes it's God. We blame God for the delay. Well, I did what you asked, God. Where are you at? And then we throw him to the side when we don't start to see fruit produced automatically. Isn't it funny that we want God to be patient with us, but we aren't willing to be patient in seeing his plan come to fruition? Why? Because you're still you-focused. You're called to be strong when others are weak. And there are those who are strong for where you are weak in your patience, and yet you reject their encouragement. Not recognizing that that's God giving you a strong place of support where you are weak in your place of not having patience. And when they say, hey, it's going to be okay, don't tell, me that, don't tell me it's going to be okay. I've been doing this for 10 years. Well, maybe you need to do another five. But until you're patient about the process, you've got to realize that God is moving off of these principles. And he's placing people around you to help build up a strong place where you're weak. Because maybe the thing he wants to do in your life requires patience. And until you get it, he's not going to give you a burden that you can't bear. Everyone wants everything now, but you're not willing to go through the process of growth. He says, I want you to walk out the healing and restoration from weak to strong. And the way you're going to do it is not just getting with me for two hours in the morning. It's getting with strong people that pursue me. Don't, don't call me a false teacher when I say this. Just hear the, hear the thought out. Too many people depend on the prayer closet as the only means for growth. It's a great place to start and stop and do the whole day through. But if you think the way you're going to grow is reading your Bible alone and praying alone, that's why you're not growing. You're not designed to grow alone. You're designed to be a blessing, and someone else is designed to be a blessing. Where you are weak, they're strong, and where they're strong, you're weak, and vice versa, and everything in between. If we would understand that, then we would start to join together as one. And you can't be one if you're too proud to lean on something, or need support for something, or too proud to support something, or be the one that they lean on. Are you willing to lift them up as long as it takes, and are you willing to depend on someone as long as it takes? I think we need to redefine mentors in our life. Can I just be straight up? A mentor is not, is not impressed by you. If, if you call someone a mentor and all they ever do is, oh, you are so great and you're so wonderful and you're doing it right, they are not a mentor. You know what a mentor does? Well, that's great, but you got this completely wrong. 
well, that's great, but you could have done this a little better. A mentor calls out your weak places because they're the strong for your weak. You want to know what the definition of discipleship is? Your strength disciples them out of their weakness. And you will always need someone stronger than you to pull you up. Verse 7. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept one another. Another word here is actually receive one another. Receive each other as Christ received you. Don't let issues or weakness divide. Receive each other like Christ received us in grace, bearing with our faults and not holding you back because of your faults. We've got to support each other and receive each other as we are for the purpose of moving forward. And that's where the, 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 the gap has been placed in the church, I believe. Is we just, we're all about acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. Well, that's great, but there's a reason we accept you for who you are. To go to a new place. But the miss is, well, they accept me as I am, and I'm going to be good forever, and I never have to grow. That's not a body of believers. That's not a true one. They want to stay where they're at, and they have, no, they have no reason to grow with God. They just want to worship him and say, thank you for allowing me to be horrible. A true fellowship, a true church, a true body of Christ is people coming together and saying, I want you to pull the stuff out of me, and I want to help pull the stuff out of you. I am blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed with a gift of music to pull things out of others. I am blessed with a gift of teaching to help put things for you in a new way. You are blessed to do things that I can't do. You're blessed to do stuff that your husband or your wife can't do. Instead of beating them down for what they can't do, be their strong tower in their tent and reciprocate it. The problem with the church is the way we have separated strong and weak is clergy and lay. Because we lift up priests and pastors and bishops and the 300 other titles that we've all made up on our own accord. We put them above everyone else. God hates that. He doesn't like that model. No, no, the model that God gave is he says, the people that I have equipped to build you, they're your foundation for you to move forward off of, not to hold you down. They're blessed to be a blessing to you so that you can be a blessing to whosoever. Is this? You walk out your deliverance in community. You're delivered from things, but you've got to walk it out in community. You see, the problem with people is, if I may, we love to go get delivered. We love to come to an altar and say, pray for me. Let me get delivered of this depression. And then when you get depressed, you wonder what's wrong. And you blame it on there was no power at the altar. No. 
The issue is that you didn't take what happened and follow it up with community so that when a hint of it starts to come, their strength can be there for when you start to get weak. You walk out what happened. You can come here every week and get good teaching, but if you don't start to apply it, this just becomes like a radio show. You got to do something with it. And you don't do it alone. How did Christ receive us? Look at verse 8. Remember, Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. Well, he also came so that the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. Interesting. Promises and mercies. That's what the psalmist meant when he wrote, For this I will praise you among the Gentiles. I'll sing praises to, to your name. In another place it's written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Praise him, all you people of the earth. In another place, Isaiah said, The heir to David's throne will come and he will rule over the Gentiles. They will, they will place their hope on him. It says, King Jesus received us as a servant. He was the strongest, but he served everyone else in their weakness. He was and he is a blessing. And where we were weak to let everything divide us, he took care of that too. He said, I'm coming for the Jew and I'm coming for the Gentile. Well, what did he just do? He said, I know where people are weak. You think you're better than you. Let me just clear this up. I came for all of you. And any theology that comes against I came for all is called false teachings of the devil himself. I will be bold enough to say that and tell you you're wrong and I'm right. On behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ Almighty. Oh, I'm going to get emails. I'll just delete them. I came for all. That's why he says promises and mercy. I served the promise that the Jews were the chosen. And the only reason anyone else gets in is because I gave them my mercy. And then Paul starts quoting these passages from the Old Testament showing us don't divide over strong and weak or able or not able. He says, find a common ground of praise. But that's what we do. We separate based off of who's good and who's not good and who's strong and who's not strong. I need you and you need me. That's what we've got to get in our prideful, selfish heads. Everyone, regardless if you're a baby Christian or a mature one, because I guarantee you mature Christians don't know how to praise like a baby one. Because it's really easy for people who have been saved for 25 years to get in there, I know how this goes. And then baby Christians, baby believers knew, they're just so excited for what God just did, they look like idiots in their praise. And God says, that's mature praise. See, we can learn from all. I don't even know why. Okay. Verse 13. 
Look what Paul says. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. How many of you want joy and peace? He says, I will, he says, I pray that God will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. And then, then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we find that common ground and we start to embrace a posture of I'm strong to bear in another person's weakness and serve them and raise them up, as we trust him in that lifestyle, he says, I'm going to fill you with joy and peace. How do I get filled with joy? Well, you're blessed to be a blessing. When you start to be a blessing, he'll start to fill you with the joy that you've been wanting. Because you still try to get joy on your own accord. You try to get peace on your own accord. That's fruit, people. That's got to grow from something you plant. What do you plant? Be a blessing. God, give me peace. Stop praying that. Maybe not, but just hear me out. It's not just God give me peace. It's God, you have shown me the way how I get peace. Show me what I must do to sow a seed for what you want to pour into me. So we love to ask God for everything, but we don't want to ask him for the strategy of how we get it. Because we love the quick. God, give me joy. And he's like, okay, well, serve that coworker that you don't like here, you know, munch on food at lunchtime. Y'all ever had one of those people? Y'all, I got so mad. I was working on my message this week at the coffee shop that we're about to put out of business. And um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not, but. I, I, <laughs> no, no, don't, don't, don't give praise to that. There's people's jobs in the house. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a horrible thing to give praise to. But no, I was sitting there having coffee. And working on this message and you ever been in like a quiet coffee shop and there's that one guy who speaks louder than the airplane going by and I found myself in the middle of trying to prepare I, I, I found myself in the middle of this message blessed to be a blessing being so distracted that I, w- I just started like in my mind started to curse that guy like, like God just silence his lips like, you know, like, I, I was just so, and then God's like, you're preparing a message called blessed to be, you want peace in the room, and you're going to curse what he's doing, why don't you bless him? Now, I would love to say I did. <laughs> I just started shifting my attitude. But the point is this, we always want, we always want the fruit. God, give me peace. Give me joy. Give me happiness. Give me, give me confidence. Give me all this. And no one wants to do anything to sow a seed for it. We just expect God to shift an environment. You want to know how he's going to shift an environment? He's going to do it through you being a blessing. Now, here's where we get this wrong. It's not saying We're filled with joy and peace, and it will overflow in the form of confident hope. Can you put that scripture back up there? Because I want to read it, because this is where we read it wrong. 
I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope. That's not what it's saying. You've got you to dig deeper sometimes. It's saying we're filled with joy and peace, and joy and peace overflows with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. You overflow with the feeling of joy and peace with confidence instead of doubt. And doubt comes, this is key, when you view being a blessing as a transaction instead of a lifestyle. Why? Here's the key. In order to overflow, you've got to be completely filled to the top of your cup. And you don't get completely filled with one act of service or one transaction. Because what happens is, you know, you're in the coffee shop with the guy who speaks louder than the airplane, and you're thinking, let let me just do this one thing, and then we expect, where's my joy, where's my peace, I'm still in a bad mood. Because that may have been the first or second time you've ever done that, and you have not embraced a lifestyle for him to pour, 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 until it overflows. Because we get in transactional thinking. We look at it as a transaction and not a lifestyle. That's how you can tell you don't have any patience because you want it immediately. You look at it as as a transaction and you get mad at God when you don't see the return on your investment. When you live the life of being a blessing, the overflow of your cup is shown through the evidence that you now have the fruit of confident hope in how you view your call to be a blessing. The Passion Translation says it like this. Now may God, the fountain of hope, he is our confident hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust him. And may the power of Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. You'll radiate with hope Because in all you do, whether it's beneficial or not, you begin to overflow with a joy and peace because that is the fruit produced in a lifestyle of being a blessing. Is this too too much? A lifestyle of being a blessing is poor, 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 poor. But you're not looking for the poor anymore. You're not looking for the overflow. It becomes your natural Because you're no longer in transactional living. You're no longer in, well, I've been serving at this church for 15 years. Transactional. I've been been sharing the world with my friend for, for, for 20 years and they ain't saved. Transactional. Because you don't really care about the seed you're sowing. You care about you want the fruit as a result of your transaction. Lifestyle is I have a confident hope that whether I see it or not, there's a reason that I'm being a blessing, and it's not about me. When we get that in our mind, when we're renewed by the transformation of our mind about lifestyle and not transaction, you will be amazed of how much peace you will have because you no longer measure anything. I had so much peace 
leading this house when we stopped counting how many people came. For real. Because I'd have two people every, it was every Sunday or every Saturday, count how many people came. And one week it'd be, you know, 70 people. Awesome. The next week, 80 people. Awesome. The next week, 90 people. Awesome. The next week, 25. <laughs> and I started to measure the worth of my teaching based off of who filled the seats. I had to get my mind shifted to a lifestyle thinking of, if you're called to sow a seed of truth, just get obsessed with sowing the seed. That's it. Because I blessed you with a gift that some others don't have to be a blessing, not to get a blessing. That's transactional. Transactional is playing on a stage. And you get discouraged when not everyone in the room is hands up. That's transactional. Are y'all getting this? You're blessed to be. And after Paul says all this, he starts telling us the why. The why behind why he's writing everything. Verse 14, I'm fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you're full of goodness. You know these things so well that you can teach others about them. I read that and I was thinking, then why are you teaching them, Paul? Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points knowing that you all need this reminder. Remember, the reason he's writing this book of Romans is because Paul, in his mind, he doesn't know if he's going to get to Rome. He knows that on the way he's going to be put in prison, he's going to have jail time. He don't know if he's going to get to Rome, but he knows that the Romans need this teaching. So this is the context of the letter. He said, I've been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all of you need this reminder, for by God's grace, I'm a special, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news, so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy, made holy by the Holy Spirit. He didn't tell the people this because they didn't know. He wrote it to remind them and encourage them to do what they knew. He says, I bring you the good news. Now, wait a minute. He's talking to a church that knows Jesus. And he said, I came to bring you the good news. The good news is not just about Jesus. Because that's what we say in the church. The good news is the gospel of Jesus. Let me bring you the good news. Jesus saved you. Let me bring you the good news. Jesus died for you. That's part of the good news. The rest of the good news is the instructions on how to live before God. The good news, you were blessed to be a blessing. The good news is not just about salvation through Jesus. It's about what it makes you able to do as someone who is saved. You are able to be blessed by God because he saved you and redeemed you and made you an acceptable offering before his father. And he says the good news about what he did is not just your eternity. It's what you get to do with what you just got blessed with. That's good news. So he says, church, let me remind you, you can't just sit in the confident hope that you're saved. 
You have got to realize that you're saved. Now do something with confident hope. You are blessed to not sit there and revel in your blessing. But isn't that kind of what the church has become? We come on Saturdays, and I'm not, nece not necessarily this church, but as a whole, we, maybe some of you, but <laughs> we come together as a whole, the church, and we do the same thing every week. We come and we give praise to God and we are wanting an encouraging message to make us feel better about how horrible we are. That's what church has become. Because we just want the good news. I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. No, the good news is also the instructions of what to do with your salvation. Walk it out. Do, you are blessed not to sit in blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. And he says, I am blessed as a messenger, I'm blessed as the messenger to be a blessing to these people. Well, how are they blessed by his message? He's strengthening them so that they are presented as acceptable to God because he is strengthening their weak places. He's reminding them in their weak moments. And it's through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say this, and this may come to bite me one day, but just hear me out. I hope not. But when people are not presented as acceptable in their lifestyles, a part of that, look at their leader. You know, the Bible talks about the reasons, like, leaders in the church are supposed to be held to a higher standard. That's not because of a title. We are blessed... To bless you. How? By strengthening you to be presented as acceptable. That's why it's important to be a part of a body who's teaching truth and not fluff. Because fluffing you up is not strengthening you. It's making you think that your weakness is strong. You see, we get that part of the scripture wrong. Well, where I'm weak, he is strong. But he doesn't want you to stay weak. Because when you grow in that area, you know what else is revealed? Another weak place. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to stay weak in my weak places. I want to be able to depend on him so that he can walk me out of them. Not to fluff me up about my weakness, but to be strong for where I'm weak. So I can depend on him in all things. But that's what we're called to do for each other. Paul says, my blessing is that I am strengthening you. Look at this, verse 17. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all that Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my, my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ. Here, fully presented the good news of Christ. Fully. From Jerusalem all the way to that word. <laughs> What's his joy in? It's not in what, listen to this. It's not in what he's doing. 
It's in what God is doing through him, and he counts it as joy that he's considered to carry the call. It's not let me get excited about what I'm doing. I'm excited that God calls me worthy to let me do it on his behalf. You see, there are many of you who are called. Let me just rephrase that. All of you are called. And you don't have joy. There's, there's many times where people are, we don't have joy. You don't have it because you throw away the opportunity to be filled with joy. Because you feel like you're not worthy of the glory in your call. You rob God of the opportunity to fill you with joy and peace because you don't feel worthy to handle the call. Think about where Paul was. He was chosen to bring this message to the church to strengthen them. The same church that years before he was trying to kill off. Can you imagine like, like a governor with that track record? Like he wanted people to receive him, the one who killed their friends and family? No wonder he's writing a letter, right? <laughs> he's, I, he says, I've been blessed to carry a call that I don't deserve. And my joy is that God bless me to bless you. Not bless me to sit in my anointing and in my title of apostle. And I, you, shut up. He gave you that to do something with it. And many of you, you, you have strong places. You've got ways to bless people and you're praying for joy, but you're not doing what the Bible says to get it. You've been called to do something. What am I called to do? You've got strengths. That's where you start. How can I bless people with what I'm great at? How do I bless people with what I know? Instead of exalting yourself and priding yourself up based off of what you know. There are things that you do great that people need. If you will be a blessing to that, he says, then I will fill you with joy and peace every time. It's scripture. And quite frankly, when we come up with all these reasons as to why we're not worthy to walk in this call, you just call God a liar. God says you are good enough, and then you say, no, I'm not. Because you look at how you live. You don't look at how he sees you. He's, he's, I, I, I know, he says, I know every place in your life that needs work. And the way we're going to start, where you're weak, I'm going to be strong. And where you're strong, you got to do for someone else like I'm doing for you. And something else I want to point out with what Paul's doing in the scripture. In verse 15, he referred to God or God the Father. In verse 17, he was referring to Jesus. And in verse 19, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. When he refers to God, he talks all about him in the fullness of his being, three persons. He says, the Father graced me, that Jesus is working through me by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. The, the Father has graced you to be worthy by giving us Jesus, paying the price for us, and showing us what we are to do. And then he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that you have a power to do what you've seen him do. 
Think about what Paul just said. The fullness of God. People saw miracles. People are getting the teaching. People are seeing the Father. People saw Jesus. And yet, how many times does a typical church member only talk about one part? You ever notice that like every prayer is in Jesus' name, but we never talk to the Father? And I, and I know that some of you, oh, yeah, but I'm talking to the Father in Jesus' name. I get it. But, but think about our mindset. Do we ever really think of any other thing but Jesus? You know, you were made worthy to approach the throne of the Father, right? There's no longer a veil separating us. He's not the mean daddy that you've got to talk to Jesus through. Jesus is interceding day and night on behalf of you to the Father, right? The Holy Spirit's in you for the power of God to flow through you. I think so many times in the church we're, we're, we're giving too much credit to one instead of the whole. Especially in the message that we give. The good news is not complete without all three parts. The good news, yeah, it's about Jesus. But it's also about what Jesus did to make us right with the Father. And the good news would be incomplete until we see the power of the Holy Spirit working through your lives. And that's why you are blessed to be. Well, I can't do it. We, God knows that. That's why he gave you power inside of you. But you never tap into the power because you don't know Holy Spirit. You just know Jesus. And then when people say, well, let's take us on a journey of what you don't, do not know. Oh, I don't know about all that. Because you don't like to admit where you're weak. And you don't want to see people, you don't want people to see where you fail. One thing that I'm very glad about in this house is you don't have to be perfect to start serving. From the moment we started Relentless, we always said we're not going to go out and hire people to do great jobs. We're going to raise people up to do great jobs. Because I'm blessed to be a blessing, and you're blessed to be a blessing, and he's blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to do something. And just being real, doing something is not 25 Facebook posts a day. They're not bad. But there's, you got to do something. You can't just talk about something. Hmm. Verse 20. I know that this is, I don't know if this has been deep or surface, but I think it's needed. My ambition, verse 20, has always been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard. Rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. He's like, I don't want to build off of what something else has done. I want to go to people who never heard it, right? Look at verse 21. I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says those who have never been told about him will see and those who have never heard of him will understand. You see, Paul wanted to be a pioneer. He didn't want to build on someone else's work. Not because that's a bad thing, but because he understood that there was so much to do and many who have not heard the complete good news. He says, I'm following the plan. I'm providing understanding to those who never heard, showing where he has not been seen. Why? Why did Paul go through all that? Why, do, why is Paul saying, 
this isn't even my passion. I want to go where he's never been heard. I want to go where he's never been seen. I want to fulfill the thing that God's been... Why is he saying all that? Because he's making clear that he's stopping for a visit, not coming to his destination. These last two verses I'm going to read tonight says this. In fact, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I've been preaching in these places. The places that have never seen him or heard him or know, or know him. But now I have finished my work in these regions. And after all these long years of waiting, I'm eager to visit you. See, he's writing to remind them of what they know. He says, I'm not coming here to build anything with you. I'm coming here to remind you of what you already know so that unity can continue, so that your purpose is not put on a pause. What's the purpose? To be a blessing. To be a blessing to the people of God and to be a blessing to the people who don't know God. Paul's work would have been incomplete if he only focused on lost people. He also had to be strong when the church showed itself as weak. See, we can spend all day talking about where we get it wrong. But let's be encouraged by one another, following Christ and bearing each other's weaknesses. We've got to learn to depend on each other. That's what kingdom culture is all about. We understand that we have a unified purpose to be a blessing to all. And it will not be effective until we start doing it together. Because if we don't start being strong for where others are weak, we're never going to go anywhere. You know, I, I hear all the time about how much people love this church. And I, I do, I love this church. I, I love this house. I love what God is doing and showing, but, I, but, I, but I, I don't love the idea of just staying in what we're good at. And I can come in here and preach a great message every Saturday for the rest of my life that's going to challenge you and sharpen you and expose things. But it's not going to do anything unless you start doing something with it. You know what a great measuring tool for me is with a healthy church? It's when everyone's invested. Why? Not to build up Kyle or the name Relentless, but because when you get invested in being, that's where your growth really starts to take off. What is the vision of this house? To see people come alive in Christ. Everything we're about is you coming alive and what you are purposed to do. And it's not going to start by God, show me the will for my life. He has already started to show you. Start identifying where you're strong. Start identifying the weak places that you can pour into. In every environment. In your relationships, in your friendships, in your homes, in your workplaces, in this house. Start identifying it and start pouring into it. We, we, get, we get so caught up in, Lord, bring it, Lord, do it. And he's like, I'm trying. Let me, let me say, you are a special individual because he has blessed you with something that you do not deserve, life. 
What are you doing with it? You're blessed to be. So I just challenge everyone tonight. Let's start being this blessing to the lost, to the saved, to wherever God puts us in purpose. You're blessed. You're strong. Now let's start pouring into the weak. Lean on each other. And this world is going to see that beautiful tree called a remnant where people are going to start running to the church because they've never seen something so beautiful. Everyone wants the same thing. They want to feel loved, not used. The church has been great about making people feel used. Let us be known for how we love. And then when they ask us, why are you like that? Because he loved me. Because he blessed me. I am because of him. That's, that, that's how the world's going to come to know him. Blessed to be a blessing. Amen.